welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Emily Kahn and I'm your host for today. Social mobility, the opportunity for individuals to succeed based on their talent and determination rather than the circumstances of their upbringing, is in the spotlight following the impact of COVID-19. As we've discussed a number of times on this podcast, the impact of lockdown on schools, on workers and our communities has been an unequal experience. And our latest future of government research shows that 61% of the UK public believe that the pandemic has made social mobility more difficult. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the ways that employers, educators and government can work together to create the pathways to allow people to succeed based on their potential, not on their background. I'm delighted to be joined today in our virtual studio by Emma Cody, who led our future of government research on social mobility, and Armagan Mohammed, our regional chair for the North. I know we've had a few challenges getting everyone's audio working today, but thank you both very much for joining me. Emma, I wonder if you could start by telling me a bit about why social mobility is so important to you. Yeah, absolutely. I would be happy to. Um, so for me, this is really personal. Uh, my personal journey is, you know, I came from a very large family in a relatively deprived area. I um, grew up in a council estate that kind of edged onto a relatively affluent town, actually, which made life quite difficult because you could kind of see a difference between your upbringing and the upbringing of others. And I was one of those free school little children, but I actually felt really very uncomfortable um, claiming the free school meal when others had their own money, so to speak, to be able to buy their own meals. And as a result, I was largely truant from my secondary education, which obviously then had a knock-on impact in terms of my sort of access to opportunities as I left education. Uh, but I, have, I was really very fortunate, actually. I had a lucky break um, in my very late teens when I was working with a company as a temp and the partner that I was working with recognized something in me and gave me a chance to apply for my exams on the promise that if I passed my exams then she would sponsor me to become an associate and that's how I entered the world of PwC where I am now. Um, so like I say for me very personal because I've come through that journey and I'm very passionate to make sure that I don't forget that journey. Well thanks so, so much for sharing that to get us going Emma that really brings to life what social mobility is all about. Armagan, do you recognise anything in what Emma's just shared there? Yes, absolutely. But before I start, Emily, can I just say thank you very much for inviting me onto this podcast. It's, it's a, you know, it's a pleasure to, to join you. And actually, I think this is such an important topic. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. Um, you know, it's interesting. When I was growing up, so I, I'm effectively um, has benefited from social mobility. When, when I was growing up, you know, I, was, I came here when I was about a year old from Pakistan, so I wasn't born here. Um, and a lot of the opportunities I've seen, you know, have come through some form of intervention or some th a form of support. Um, I remember, you know, I mean, people talk about social mobility now, and it has a particular like this connotation. But when I was growing up, we we never had the word social mobility. What we called it was opportunity. So when I was growing up, it was all about where are the opportunities? Where are we getting access to those? And the second thing is role models. Where are the role models? And I, you know, I have quite a really privileged role that I have in the North uh, as a regional chair. And I get, uh, I get the opportunity to speak to so many people. And they all talk about the role models they've had and actually the opportunities or the interventions that have happened to help them be successful and be their best. So how we operationalize that, how we get people bought into that, 
is really important. And I'm thinking business, government and individuals there, uh, Emily. I'm so glad I asked you both that question to get us going because it's got us right into the heart of the topic and I can hear both of your passion for the topic. So thank you for for sharing your your personal experiences and and kind of areas of interest within the topic of social mobility. Um, I mentioned in my introduction there our new future of government research and I'm really keen that we get into some of the details of that. Um, Emma, I, you know, I use that stark statistic that six in ten people that feel that the pandemic has made social mobility more difficult and that's, you know, that's quite a, a bleak place to start the conversation but perhaps you can share a, a few other highlights of the insights the research has given us. Absolutely, it'd be a pleasure too, because as you say, that word stark, unfortunately, it comes up all the time when you start going through our research. I think it's probably the most in-depth research we've seen uh, for some time on this. And, and really kind of for me personally, what, what came out is, is really no escaping the impact that the pandemic has had on social mobility. We know there was an issue there before, but it seems to have really compounded the issue uh, as we sort of move forward and start our recovery process. But the research really shows uh, people clearly believe that things are getting harder. Uh, so just to bring that to life, uh, really quite disappointingly, only 30% of the public believe that everybody has the same opportunities to, to succeed. That's a really low number. And that really speaks volumes to me that there is an absolute issue here and now that we need to deal with. But actually just kind of moving on from that, 59% of those that we surveyed believe that they had either the same or better opportunities than, than previous generations, but actually 52% of all of those surveyed believe that actually it's going to be harder for future generations. So we, we potentially have reached that tipping point, which is not where we need to be right now. So as a business leader, that to me tells me that there is something that we need to do now, because if we do nothing, then future generations will suffer as a result. And that just doesn't feel quite right. Um, so like you say, really stark, and it really highlights that now is the time to take action. And when we were kind of looking at this, we sort of wanted to, to break our research into two themes, really. One, which is, you know, what is the issue? And the second sort of part of it really is like, what can we do to help? And I'll delve into that in a bit more detail. But just to bring to life some of the barriers that the people felt um, impeded sort of social mobility, and they were all around not having the right skill sets through education, which made up about 30% of the response rate. But as Argan was saying, um, around his own personal experience, this lack of support network and lack of role models growing up is a really big barrier. It came out as one of the top barriers to social mobility for the general public overall, followed closely by disabilities, areas people grew up in and ethnicity, all in the really high 20%, which again, kind of starts to allow us to see where we need to sort of take some, some proactive steps to try and help intervene at this point. Armagan, I'm, I'm interested in your reflections when you, when you hear those, those stats and those barriers that Emma's just shared. How does that fit with the, the picture that you're seeing in your role looking at the North? Yeah, I mean, if, if we step back from the pandemic, it's accelerated a number of things, hasn't it? It's, it's accelerated uh, the role of digital skills. It's accelerated, you know, I, I think the, the, the danger with the pandemic is there are some businesses have done really well and, and others have actually slowed down. And as a consequence, the people who used to work in those businesses, a number of those people come from underprivileged backgrounds, right? So the, the key question is, people who are already struggling, 
how do we make sure that the pandemic, you know, we don't lose a generation of amazing talent. And the two things we're talking about is we really need to make sure that the talent's coming through and, you know, people have the opportunities to do, you know, to, to educate, to upskill, uh, to get involved in different, different environments. Um, if you think about, uh, Emily, if you think about the North, you know, one, I think it's how people feel is really important, right? So there was a survey, you know, there's, there's a, a YouGov survey I was reading recently, which sort of said, you know, 31% of the people in the North believe, Northeast believe opportunities to progress in their area are good. But when you look at what people feel in London, 74%. So we do have this sort of line and how people feel is really important. What their high street looks like is really important. You know, not, it's not just employment. It's actually the environment within which people uh, live. And I think the pandemic has actually, you know, as I said, I, I, I think it's, it's um, uh, sort of exasperated. It's, it's made, potentially made it tougher for certain people in society to, to do well. Right. Um, that's my fundamental belief that's come out of that. So I, I very much, you know, very, very much agree with some of the observations. But mine are anecdotal. Mine are sort of talking to people, mine sort of walking down the street, mine sort of talking to businesses and communities. So that's the perspective I'm, I'm coming from, Emily. That definitely resonates with with a number of conversations we've had on this podcast series. And I, I'm I'm noticing as you talk there a, a theme that's run through these about the kind of the intersections between topics and different risks so social mobility goes hand in hand with diversity and inclusion it goes hand in hand with leveling up and actually addressing some of those challenges requires a, a holistic view in the round and a collaboration between people that maybe didn't collaborate in that way before to address some of these systemic challenges um, to as you say create that kind of equality and that optimism no matter where people are in the country um, Emma, I would like to come back. You, you you offered kindly to delve into a bit more detail on on what what we can do about it, which you said was the second area that the that the research addressed. Um, give us a flavour for what the priority areas for action uh, should be that you've picked up in that section. Of course. So what was very interesting is the amount of energy that came back from the research, with people having really good views on the practical steps. This wasn't about just taking the what's wrong, but it was also the kind of how do we fix this and what role does business and what role does government play in this? And I think it's fair to say that for, for certainly from a PwC perspective, we took the sort of very clear message that this is time for business to step in, to step up and to help intervene, because actually we have equal uh, responsibility here as what the government potentially would do as well going forward. Uh, so some of those um, actions that sort of came out in terms of public views were that there's some really simple things. So things like offering more work experience placements, for example, which scored really highly that came out in the sort of very high 70s, around 75%, um, closely followed by encouraging businesses to work with schools and education providers to raise awareness of career opportunities and the skill sets that perhaps individuals might need to access different career opportunities. Remembering, you know, from the conversations that, that Amgen and, and I had earlier on, which is that we don't necessarily all have access to the same education. Is there a way businesses can reach through that to really advertise the breadth of opportunities that are there for individuals, regardless of location, location and background? Um, a couple of other business critical roles that came out were around opening up non-graduate routes into employment, that again was in, in the 70s uh, around 
individuals not necessarily you know like myself having had a strong secondary or or further education but actually still having a very good skill set to be able to offer so how do employers reach beyond that graduate program to really encourage more mobility within its own workforce and then upskilling young people through outreach programs is really fundamental it comes into that role model and that networking point that we talked about earlier on and um, it's actually kind of giving people the visibility over what type of roles there are out there and the role models that they can access and and finally around reaching through um, to support those from disadvantaged backgrounds through the recruitment process because we can have the best education in the world but actually if we don't know what roles to apply for or we don't necessarily have the skill sets to enable us through an interview process for example then actually that falls apart very quickly. So it's seeing it really from the beginning to, to the end, all the way through as that extra support that businesses can step in and offer. And then just from a, a government point of view, I mean, we obviously work um, you know, with lots of different organizations and, and the purpose of, of the future of government research is to sort of be able to look and see if we can help bridge the gap somewhat. Um, and the role of, of governments you know, from a public perspective is really around the, the quality of education in schools. So how can government work with schools to improve the education program that's out there. And again, that scored really highly with over 43% of the public feeling that was a really strong action the government could, could step in. And then likewise, expanding apprenticeship programs. So finding ways to incentivize businesses to expand their apprenticeship programs to be able to encourage opportunities for, for all rather than just those sort of school leavers and higher education um, individuals. And then the final point really, which links into another part of the research, which I won't go into to just yet, but it was around how do we um, upskill school leaders on a broader range of skill sets. So for example, digital skills and those interview skills that we talked about earlier on, and that came in again very highly with over 25%. Some really practical um, ideas that are coming forward from the public of, we think these steps will really help. Thank you for sharing those. I love, I love an actionable insight in these conversations. Armagan, I'd be interested in your reflections on those actions that Emma's just shared there. What do you think businesses should be prioritising in terms of their response to this challenge? I think there's three things that business leaders and businesses and hence businesses can, can do. The first is advocacy. You know, it's really important when a business leader says social mobility and improving social mobility is really important to our business. So the first thing I think a business leader can do is to be an advocate of social mobility, irrespective of their own journey. You know, people will have had different journeys, but if that's one of the key uh, uh, leadership traits they have, it affects the culture of the whole organization. Businesses need to attract and recruit people from disadvantaged backgrounds. Okay. Why do we need that? Because we need diversity of thought. We need diversity of uh, creativity and how do you innovate. I've always found that having a range of people in a room really, really does help drive innovation. So businesses definitely need people from the cross-section of society. You know, and one of the things, you know, where really it's really important to us from a PwC perspective is we really want to help to recruit and develop people at PwC from a range of backgrounds. And there's lots of interventions we're doing around coaching people, around interviews, reaching out to schools, reaching out to colleges, apprenticeship schemes. So there's lots of stuff we're trying to do to convene that. And I think the third thing is what are 
and it's related a bit to the last one, but is the community. So businesses operate in a particular community. It is a real privilege to be able to operate in that community in a safe environment. There's laws, the you know, people your business is being protected. So actually, how are you supporting mobile social mobility with disadvantaged communities? You know, how are you supporting volunteering programs? You know, so to my mind, there's three things that I think business leaders and hence businesses can really think about. Advocacy, inclusion, and community. I wish there was a nice acronym there and I could use a buzzword, uh, Emily, but I'd just put it like that, advocacy, inclusion, and community. I really like that answer, Armageddon. It's very memorable um, and gives some really clear things that uh, people could be getting on with right now. Um, I'm going to pick up on the kind of the, the very current live topic of conversation around return to work and hybrid working as something that, that a lot of business leaders are focusing on right now. Do you think there's a link in, in, in that movement as we come back into the workplace and an opportunity there for people to address social mobility as well? It's interesting. You know, th there seems to be a spread of views, aren't there, in business? There, there are some people saying, actually, we want to go back to full-time office presence. And then there's a group of people, uh, organisations, who are saying, actually, you don't need to come in at all, right? Um, and from a PwC perspective, you know, I, I think what's... If I think about how, how did I learn, right? How, how did I learn? How did I... Uh, if, if you think about a journey a lot of people go on, you know, there's a bit about understanding their job. So whether we call it technical skills or just understanding how do you how do you do this job well, there's then a bit around how do you manage people, you know, how, which effectively for me is how do you work with people, and then the third thing is actually how do you lead people, how do you get buy-in, how do you get followership. If I think about you know those three tenets, you know where did where have I learned a lot from, you know some of it was classroom based, but actually quite a lot of it was observing people. The benefit of uh, uh, remote working is you know you can work for a whole range of organizations and you can do it from the area you work in so it gives the world becomes smaller I think the opposite to that is actually where do you learn how do you learn what's the best way for you to learn so for my mind it's a combination of two so I think the freedom you get from living in let's say Huddersfield and working for an organization in the southeast it gives you a lot more accessibility but I think the other side of that is, you know, you've got to make sure that, you know, I always think about careers in decades, you know, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, you know. And, and as you move through, you know, uh, technical competence, management, leadership, you know, what's the best way for you to learn under those three, three topics? And it may change over time. You, you, you never stop doing all three. You just end up accentuating more, one more than the other. So I, I think it's, you know, I think uh, the flexibility people have these days is really, really beneficial overall. Having said that, to benefit from that, uh, that flexibility, you've got to get the job in the first place, right? You've got to get the access to the education in the first place. You've got to get access to digital uh, and digital upskilling. Um, there's, you know, you've probably got to have people who are, as I said, role models. So we can't immediately jump to saying, actually, it's given us a lot of flexibility. We've got to put some of the building blocks in place as well, uh, Emily. I, um, I definitely recognise what you described there. And actually, that's one of the most compelling answers that I've heard for, for the need for balance. Um, and it can't be all home working. You need that office working for the for the richness of learning and opportunity that it creates. 
Emma, does that does that strike a chord with what we've seen in in the research findings around kind of post-pandemic return to work? It does, and it's really fascinating um, hearing hearing that perspective actually because it, it resonates completely. And actually, when we were asking the question around what what are the things we can do to help career progression, the two um, highest scoring responses came back was finding the time to work because people are still juggling sort of you know, taking children to school or you know another job or, or education whatever it might be but those fixed hours can be really quite hard to juggle when you have other commitments that are there and then also access to this digital skill set as well and one of the questions that we we sort of talked about um prior to doing the research was does the sort of hybrid working work from home standpoint actually help with social mobility if people aren't having to rely on traveling into you know, a, a city center or stuff for sort of specific timetables, would it become more flexible? Does it help? Uh, and we thought, actually, yeah, that's a, a great start, isn't it? But exactly as Armin said, we could work from home forever. Um, but actually, if all the other building blocks aren't in place and we take the other steps to help, then it won't necessarily fix anything. And on the digital side of things, I completely agree with what Armin said. Actually, there is so much value in learning the sort of softer skills, so the conversational skills, and that does actually lead straight across the digital, because you could give everybody a laptop in the world, but if people don't necessarily know how to engage in a conversation through a virtual forum or to use the technology that's at their fingertips, then it doesn't take people any further forward. So I, I think my personal view is that hybrid working will absolutely go some way to help, because it means people will access more opportunities than perhaps they might have done before if they've got the, the ability to work more virtually but I still think that there's a huge value that people take away from that in-person working at the same time through a combination of the two. We're almost out of time here today folks. Um, one of the things that I like to do in these conversations is to get really specific about the actions that people listening can take personally. Um, so I'm going to take us right back to the beginning of the conversation. Emma, I know that you're really passionate about what we can do as individuals to improve social mobility. What one thing would you like our listeners to take away that they can do personally after listening to this? Oh, tricky one. It's tricky to have just one thing. Um, but what I'll surmise is I, I think there's something about being bold and sharing your story. Um, the more business leaders I speak to, the more I realise how vast people's journeys into their roles really is. And so actually by sharing our stories, we start to build confidence in ourselves and we start to build awareness. We start to listen to other people's journeys more as well. I think there's something about being out there with your own personal experience. And I think just to kind of chuck one last thing in, if I may, which is around being really open-minded to those around you because you just never know what someone else is juggling or the journey that they've been on um, so just be kind to people and just take the time to listen and engage and, and go and share as much as you can your network to be able to kind of reach out to others and, and you never know you might um, be a role model to somebody in the future that perhaps you, know, you haven't thought about doing that. I love that answer a three for the price of one top for <laughs> you Emma. Armageddon what would you add to that? Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, the, the thing about social mobility or opportunity or whatever we, we, we call it is 
um, we can have a very academic conversation around it and we can sort of showcase and talk about it with tremendous amount of passion. If we want to change our future, we're going to have to change it now. I remember years ago listening to a, a lecturer and he was talking about technology adoption and he said, you know, if, you know, the future isn't where it used to be because of the new technologies that are coming through. And I could almost say the same thing about social, you know, social mobility, you know, if we want the future to be in a different place, we've got to intervene now. So one of the things, for example, we, we did was, you know, we, we launched an assurance center in Bradford, right? And we did that because it was one of the 12 opportunity areas that the government has, has outlined. And, you know, we set up links with Leeds University where we're doing a technology apprenticeship scheme and we had 36 computer science graduates from our first fully funded course. You know, there's things we're doing in the community. You know, we're trying to strengthen links between schools and colleges that we have. So, uh, so I, I think the key thing people can do and think about it. So intervene now. So I think if, if, if someone triggers something, does something different, we're going to have a different future. And that's what this is all about. That's a lovely way to draw this conversation to a close, that we need to, if we want to change our future, we need to act now. Thank you, Armagan, um, for that final thought. Um, and that draws us to the close of another episode of our Business in Focus podcast. Thank you both so much for sharing your personal stories and for such a fascinating discussion. And of course, thank you to everyone for listening. If you would like to explore our social mobility findings in more depth, please visit pwc.co.uk forward slash driving social mobility. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe and tune in again soon. <laughs>